So today's lesson text comes from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 7, verses 24 through 37. Hear the word of the Lord. From there Jesus set out and went away into the region of Tyre. He entered a house and didn't want anyone to know he was there, yet he could not escape notice. But a woman whose little daughter had an unclean who had a daughter with an unclean spirit came immediately when she heard about him, and she came down before Jesus and bowed at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, of Syrophoenician origin. She begged Jesus to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But the lady answered him, Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For saying that you may go, the demon has left your God. So she went home, found the child lying in the bed, and the demon gone. And Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went by way of Sidon towards the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Decapolis. They brought to Jesus a deaf man who had the impediment, who had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to lay his hands on him. He took him aside and cried away from the crowd, and he put his fingers into his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then Jesus looked up to heaven, he sighed, and said to the man, Epitaphtha, that is, be opened. And immediately the man's ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Then Jesus ordered them not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered it, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done everything well. He makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray through the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts we may bring honor and glory to you. Amen. Well, hopefully I don't drive you nuts. I have a speech tick where for some reason death becomes death. So if you mess with me about today, that is just me. So to get us into today's lesson, we took a week off, and I know not everyone has been here. Jesus, in the first part of Mark chapter 7, had a discussion, a debate that wasn't very friendly with the Pharisees and the scribes about what was clean and what was unclean. And for those who aren't Old Testament scholars, this woman that comes up to Jesus being a Gentile, from the viewpoint, from the viewpoint of the Jews, made her unclean. So Mark is continuing from where we were on that aspect. But also, you find Jesus in verse 24, he entered a house and he didn't want anyone to know he was there, yet he could not escape notice. We find a long thing that's been going through a couple weeks now. Back in chapter 6, when Jesus called the disciples back from their mission trips, they were out in the wilderness looking for a clear place to rest, and they got crowded. So they went further out into the wilderness to find a place to rest. And that's where he feeds the 5,000. And after that, they get in the boat to go across the lake to find another place to rest. 
And that's where Jesus gets crowded again. So Mark now has Jesus going into the only recorded incident we have of Jesus in pure Gentile territory. He's about 20 miles north of Galilee. That's all you need to know of the geography of the area. But he is in Greek town, for the most part, just trying to get a little bit of R&R. It's not easy being Jesus as far as crowds and people pressing in. And so we find out, though, in verse 24, that a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and bent down at his feet. So this woman even coming herself is that same harassment that Jesus has been getting so far in his ministry. And that really explains what goes on in verse 27. There are a lot of commentators who go deep, where Jesus talks about, well, it's not fair to take what's for the children and give it to the dogs. And they translate that through the lens of Jesus being called primarily to Israel. He's the Jewish Messiah after all. And in Paul's works, especially in the New Testament, the salvation is open up to the Gentiles, but it's very much in all those verses, first to the Jew, then to the Greek. Salvation is through the Jews, as Jesus says to the Samaritan woman in John. That's very much a, a theme in the New Testament. So I don't want to say everyone that ever preached that was, was off base, but it's much more important for what Mark is doing, and we're doing such an in-depth study on Mark, to highlight that is not what's mainly going on here. Jesus is exhausted, but he's also just gotten into a debate with the Pharisees about what's clean and unclean. Last week, um, we talked about how Jesus repudiated, in rather no uncertain terms, the Pharisees for their ritual washing of hands, and then them yelling at him, yelling at him because his disciples didn't do it. And Jesus made it very clear that the oral tradition of the Jews he held not just as not counting, but as negative. His, his comment in verse in Mark 7, chapter 7, in vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. Jesus was quoting Isaiah to parade the Pharisees over these rules of what's clean and unclean. So it wouldn't make sense that Mark jumps straight out of that into this story of the woman and then says, well, the woman's a dog because she's not a Jew. I'm not saying that that, that that angle isn't there, but this is far more to do with the fact Jesus is exhausted. So if we put things into that context, Jesus is using what is a normal domestic scene in the town of Tyre, in the city, when he gives this rebuke. The woman comes up to, to Jesus and asks him, please cast the demon out. Jesus says in verse 27, let the children be fed first, for it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Jesus uses the domestic scene of being in a house where he's at to point out the fact that the rest and the serving is for him and the disciples at this point. His repudiation of the woman is stark 
But the main reason he does that is because Jesus has so far been hounded by being the magical man. We saw in chapter 3, where the crowds rush in because Jesus is, is magical and he can't preach. And we saw that in chapter 6 with the feeding of the 5,000 and him having been on the boat before they find out what's up so they don't throng him. So Jesus is here trying to relax and a Gentile woman comes up to him and his basic figuring is, she looks at me as unmagical. And brothers and sisters, God does not work magically. In the whole Old Testament, he refuses to do it. He refuses Israel tokens, totems, idols, any of it. God will only act in response to faith. And that's why Jesus has to hear first rebuke her. But she comes back with a wonderful, smarty counter. She answered him, Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Jesus had said, well, you know, you don't take the kids' food and just toss it to the dogs and the kids' car. But the woman just fires back, and, and in the Greek, it's pretty, it's pretty clear. It, it, it's, it's immediate. She fires back, well, yeah, but even the little dogs in the house that eat the crumbs will fall off the table. She presses back on Jesus with the full intent of showing she knows that he is the one who can do something for her God. So Jesus responds then with what in Mark is his strongest affirmation of faith, return home. In Mark's gospel, Jesus always said return home when someone comes to him with a really strong faith. He doesn't use the, the miracles or the show or anything else. It, it's kind of like when the centurion comes to him and says, well, you know, there's a, there's a thousand under me, I give him orders. Jesus' response is, good, it's done, go home. So that's the, that's the first miracle here today, and then the second one puts it all into focus of where Mark has been going. Jesus goes down a little south of Tyre, having rested there, being tired then. And they bring to Jesus a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech. So it's clear here that the man was not born deaf, he, he wasn't born with no understanding of language, but something happened to him to mess it up, be it physiological, be it damage, be it psychological. And so Jesus takes the guy in verse 33 aside and does some things that show Jesus was very concerned about speaking to the man as an individual. Jesus can't sit there and tell a deaf man, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, Jesus probably could, but until he healed it, the guy's not going to hear it. So these weird actions that Jesus does, where he puts his fingers into his ears and he spits and touches his tongue, well, that's Jesus pulling a guy aside in private, making the one-on-one -on -one connection with him, and then Jesus heals him. And what's important for the gospel, uh, the, the one little last bit of commentary to get in there, is when Jesus says to the man, that's some hard Greek, be open, be speaking to the whole person's being. But the long and short of it for the Gospel of Mark, we're going through as a series here, is what happens next. Then Jesus ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. Going back 
Excuse me, Mark chapter 1, verse 40. A leper came and begged him, kneeling, saying, If you choose, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I choose to be made clean. After sternly warning him, Jesus sent him away at once, saying, May him see that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to a priest, and offer your claim for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Verse 45. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely, and to spread the word, so that Jesus could no longer go into a town openly, but stayed out in the country, and the people came to him from every corner. So way back in Mark chapter 1, we saw that Jesus, when this leper came, had to make the decision that he was going to kind of hijack his own ministry. Jesus knew that if he healed that leper, that leper was going to be a real pain, because he was not going to listen to it, and he was going to go about it, tell everyone that Jesus was a miracle worker and everything. And Jesus in Mark chapter 1 very much wants to preach the kingdom, repent, for it is come. He doesn't want to be the miracle worker. But Jesus in his mercy heals the guy anyways. Here is the same sort of thing coming up, but notice there's a change. So Jesus ordered him not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered it, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were astounded beyond measure, saying, He's done everything well. He makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. That's Messiah talk. If you were following along in your Bible, you probably noticed that there were quotes. That's because those are pulling from Isaiah. So Jesus, when he heals this man this time, and orders them to keep quiet, they, instead of just going around talking about how Jesus is a miracle worker, are now going around talking about how Jesus is the Messiah. And that's going to cause a whole bunch of trouble for Jesus when he starts preaching about repenting, the kingdom of God is here because everyone's going to start thinking leading up to Palm Sunday the Messiah is here he's here to kill all the Romans. So everything in Mark chapter 7 will, and a good part of 6 will parallel in Mark chapter 8. So for those of you who have not followed along our sermons are online on the podcast, but chapter 8 will kind of be going through Mark's um, own redoing. Now I think as far as application of this, just real quick before I end this up, I love this woman in verse 28. Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. When we read that verse in Proverbs, it seems to get the idea that the, that the biblical ideal of womanhood is some little lady who just sits there and does all the chores and never talks back to her husband and has no personality whatsoever. This shows that Jesus has a very different attitude than that. He likes funky, not in a negative way, but Jesus loves this woman for her full personality, for her, her full life experience and everything there is about her. I just think that in and of itself, that's a good one for all of us men in the congregation to keep us humble. And remember that you know what? <laughs> Sometimes your wife actually is right. 
But I think it also... <laughs> but I think it also, for all of us, when it comes to our lives in prayer, shows something that is actually one of the more masculine traits in the Bible that is often missed. The Israelite would be very familiar with the stories of Jacob picking up giant wellstones, or Jacob wrestling an angel in the middle of the night saying, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. And throughout the books of Kings and Corinthians and uh, Chronicles, when you have all the fights and the other things, there is this sense of the male characters contending with God a little bit. Uh, it's kind of gets summed up in the book of uh, Ecclesiastes, which some people may not like, but there is the verse, don't be too good lest you be destroyed, and don't be too evil lest you be destroyed. It's kind of just in the Hebrew understanding, uh, a middle way, being a little clever. And I think a lot of God's children would do better if they learned this woman has lots of respect, I'm not saying to be disrespectful in your prayer life, but if they learn to parry a little bit, we imagine a Jesus that doesn't normally exist, that we can come to with magical understandings, and he's going to fix everything because he just happens to be Jesus. And you may just get the response, I'm not taking what's the kids and throwing it to the gods. Now that doesn't fit what 90% of people in church will tell you what Jesus is. But Jesus, we talk about the Trinity being persons. Jesus is a personality too. And to, if you're going to talk about a relationship with God, about prayer being more than just empty repetition, you're going to have to learn to talk, to parry, to have a real conversation, and sometimes even have a comeback. We never want to lose sight of the fact that God is holy. But we also don't want to lose sight of the fact that in Jesus becoming human, he embraces everything that humanity is. And that's why he's such a wonderful, different savior than the rest of the world sees. Jesus is human in the fact that he understands what it is to run through grass barefoot, to tell jokes, to verbally parry. And so a relationship with Jesus, that messiahship that's there, at the end of the day, that means in our weakness. And that time when we tell that joke just to make it hurt less. When God gives us an answer that we don't like, very much can move through that parry that even the dogs get the crumbs. So this one goes for the gods. You have felt that that has been your, <laughs> your typical relationship with God. Lord, I just, you don't give me anything because I'm not one of your kids and I know I'm going to stand far away and I never get close. Maybe it's time for you to get a little bit of a burden carrier and say, Lord, you need to come to the gods. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these examples in faith and for the Gospels that you have recorded about your Son's mighty works. As we continue to study them, may you teach us what it is to relate to the Son of God. 
going back to those first words in Mark, which we are examining. Lord, we have a lot of preconceptions about how you are. But the idea of you being fully human, and you being willing to push before you hold, that strikes us. Help us to get rid of the caricatures that keep us away from you and the over-piety that will not pray like a man. And Lord, make us as clever as this woman. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.